Welcome to Magic by Design. If you're new to the show, allow me to fill you in on the premise. We aim to watch and review every Disney animated feature film. Each and every week, we break down a movie from the Disney canon in an attempt to discover the secrets behind the magic. This is episode 11, so this week, funnily enough, we will be talking about Disney's 11th animated feature film, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. But before we dive into the world of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Ken, and I am joined as always by my co-host slash brother Garrett. Gar, how are you? I've downloaded every episode of Murder She Wrote. Do 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 do. To give context, we watched one of the Murder She Wrote TV movies last night. The called, Celtic Riddle. Yes, the Celtic Riddle. It was based in Ireland, even though most of it was shot in LA. Oh god, the accents were so bad. There Very is mixed. some comically awful Irish accents in Murder, She Wrote, The Celtic Riddle, and I I laughed at them hysterically because they're terrible. Part of the fun of watching was spotting which were the fake Irish people and which were the real. Which I did a very good job of. After, yeah, I nailed it. Every single one. After, uh, retrospectively. Because, like, there, there was a guy from Kerry doing a Kerry accent, and it's like, if you're an American doing an Irish accent... You would never do that. He's not doing it. Correctly. And if you it's are nice. American, fair play. Yeah, if, if that's the accent you go for when you're being you're going for an Irish accent, well done. You've done your research. But most people wouldn't. So it's like no one's gonna do a Kerry accent, you know. So he's obviously Irish. Whereas like you're you're, you're one the, the woman whose voice veered into a different kind of Irish accent with every sentence. Whether it was like a, a vague ah faith and be horror accent or a come here to me Dublin accent or and then your man who was from California who just like dropped the accent when he got excited. It's just like I'm not. Not sounding Irish anymore. I give up. It's hard. It was a mixture between Darby O'Gill and Southern California. Yeah, and then he get wound up, and then the accent would just completely evaporate. It was very funny. Yeah, not a, not a particularly good movie, but I'm like, I need more Angela Lansbury in my life. I need that comfort in my life, Ken, of her solving crimes. Car, as the listeners may not know, we hail from Cork. Mm-hmm. Angela Lansbury lived in Cork in the 70s. Yes. And she still has a house there, which she built in the 80s. And she has Irish, American and British citizenship. She travels on an Irish passport. This is now the Angela Lansbury podcast. <laughs> yes, we're going to pivot. Wait, will be eventually she, Beauty she, and the Beast. She's a Disney legend, yeah. Yeah. As I've always said, when I'm dying, all I want is someone to get Angela Lansbury to play or sing Beauty and the Beast to me as I fade off into the eternal darkness. Though odds are she will die before me, and that's quite upsetting. Well, she is 94. Yeah, so I I have to tie pretty quick for this to happen. <laughs> I don't blame you because Murder, She Wrote, it's endlessly watchable and it's just really good comfort television. It's 12 seasons. I think it might be my new fall asleep to show. I'll, I'll finally replace the West Wing. Dara used to fall asleep to the West Wing at night, so he's uh, sublimated, is that a word? Absorbed the West Wing through osmosis. I think you're looking for. Yeah, that's that's it. There you go. Words. Words are hard. Words are difficult. So this film we're talking about today, I assume it's about the 2014 television show Sleepy Hollow and the Super Mario character Toad. Incorrect. I'm sorry, there. 
No, oh, that would be a much more interesting film. The, 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 the 2014 show. I think it was 2014. Uh, the good show. I enjoyed that show. I enjoyed that adaptation of Sleepy Hollow. I think I watched the first season and maybe half of the second season, and then I fell off of it. And I, I kind of regretted it, because you were right, it is really good. But it's just one of those things I never got back to. 2013, for clarification. Yeah, completely bonkers. It was just a completely bonkers show that took, like, the myths, 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 I can't say words, of Headless Horseman and all that stuff and made it just ridiculous and over the top and very funny. Yeah, I like that show. If, you, if you've never watched Sleepy Hollow, it's probably streaming somewhere. It got cancelled after four seasons. Uh, yeah, watch Sleepy Hollow. It's a good show. Yeah, Gar, as you said, this film is based on two classic short stories or novels. Well, I think Wind and the Willows is a novel and Sleepy Hollow is a short story. Yes. This is considered the final film of the package era of the 1940s. Gar, you'll be happy to hear. Oh, thank Lord. That... that... <laughs> We'll talk more about the package here later. I won't yeah. complain about it now. No, we'll get derailed <laughs> if you start now. This is considered the last anthology film until The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh in 1977. A package film I'm on board for. Many Can't Pooh wait. shorts is something I am, I'm deli- will delight me, as opposed to many musical shorts, which will just bore me. We're about 30 years away from it, though. So. Uh, well, that's only about 15, 20, 20 episodes, so four or five months until I get my poo, my fix of poo. Yeah, we'll get there. Until I get to relieve my bowels and have some poo. Yeah. Sorry, it's, it's well, what, the... What were like five minutes in, you're taking it to, to poo jokes already. Yes. Oh, bother. So, in 1938, shortly after the release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, James Bordero and Campbell Grant pitched Walt Disney the idea of making a feature film of Wind in the Willows. They thought that with the anthropomorphic animal characters, it could only be done in animation. It would be easier as well than doing humans. Bordero and Grant produced a reel of concept drawings and voices done by the artists to pitch it to Walt Disney, and he was not convinced. He said, quote, it would be awfully corny. Well, that's. Uh, do you think part of that is because the source material is English? Yeah, maybe. Maybe culturally he just didn't understand it. Yeah, because like culturally, like these are two. It's very interesting to have these two side by side as pieces of animation because one is based on an American source material and one is based on a British source material. And I think there's very interesting points of comparison because of that. Yeah, that did cross my mind as well. Like there's a there's an interesting juxtaposition between the two. Like they're both essentially fairy tales or fables, but there's like one is distinctly American and the other is distinctly. British. Like, if you were doing your Leaving Cert comparative text on The Adventures of Ichabod, Mr. Toad, I think it would be a very interesting one to dive into, because they're they're culturally very different. But they're also linked as well, in some ways, because, you know, obviously Britain settled America. So. Yeah. While Disney wasn't convinced, he did buy the rights in mid-1938. It was... <laughs> I love that. I don't think it'll work, but I want to own it. <laughs> yeah, just in case. It was intended, like most of the films in the package era that were featurettes, to be a feature film released with the same title, Wind in the Willows. Why did they never do originals? It's very... Like, even their shorts are predominantly based on something. It's very strange how few originals they do. Like, the Adventures of Johnny Appleseed and Casey at the Bat and and Peter and the Wolf and all of these things based on something else. Like, uh, and then obviously all of the the longer features have been based on something. It's interesting. Like, even Dumbo has been based... That tricked me because I thought Dumbo was an original. And it's the loosest of source material but it's still source material it's interesting that they never made originals back then they really didn't and you know hollywood was still somewhat in its infancy 
But also we had writers and we had creatives that did scripts. So why couldn't they come up with something new? But well, maybe they didn't want to. And maybe they didn't want to. Maybe it's obviously easier to adapt something else. You know, you don't have to come up with characters. You don't have to come up with stories. You can change it all you want, but you don't have to come up with it. That's much easier. Like, like breaking the characters and coming up with the story ideas is the hard part. Adapting it is, relatively speaking, easier. Uh, it might also be like they wanted hits. So they're yeah. like, we will go for Beloved Tales. And this this might be even an even more cynical one. It's like, all right, we want to hit in England and we want to hit in America. So we'll pick an English story and we'll pick an American story and we'll cram them together and everyone will be happy. Oh, by the way, Wind Willows, written by a Scottish man. I shouldn't, shouldn't say English. Sorry. Sorry, Scotland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but on one hand, Sleepy Hollow would be well known, but it wouldn't be what you call beloved. But if you look at Wind in the Willows in the UK, it really is one of those really classic beloved books that people give to their children generation after generation. Yeah, there's like a BBC survey of like the most important British texts, and I think it was like 17th. So it's like, it's it's very highly thought. But even like Sleepy Hollow was considered one of the original pieces of American fiction so yeah, or at least one, one of the original ones that have endured so it's 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 not like it's some obscure or it's not like Bongo you know Wind and the Willows had quite a long route to the screen after some delays and rewrites the film went into production in 1941 as Bambi was nearing completion so a lot of the animators were freed up to start working on Wind and the Willows the Disney animator strike ended in October 1941 and the Bank of America agreed to a loan to bail out the studio to the tune of 3.5 million at the time, which was a lot of money, on the condition that they only produced shorts and films that were already in production. So this actually gives a further context to the package era. So yeah, it's just like, all right, churn it out. Churn it out, baby. Only stuff that makes money. Nothing else. Yeah. I wonder, it's interesting. So many of the, the, the shorts and stuff that they've made so far have, have been uh, based off European texts. Pinocchio's Italian. All the grim fairy tales, obviously. Bambi. Bambi as well. So yeah, Europe really, really holding up the storytelling aspect of Disney. Get out of here, America. Interesting side note here, Gare. As a result, early versions of Lady and the Tramp and Alice in Wonderland were shelved because they weren't in production yet. Wind and the Willows was kept because it was already in production and some of the animation had been completed. And they, they paid for the rights for it already, so they as well. Yeah. However, after reviewing early footage, Disney decided that he would shelve the project indefinitely, saying the quality was far he too... He really hates this, doesn't he? He really doesn't like it. He said the quality was far below the standard necessary to be successful on the market. Ooh. So that was around the 1941 maybe so Wyndon and Willows resumed production in 1946 so when they got desperate Walt is like fine just make it fine Following his military service in World War II, animator Frank Thomas was assigned to the project to help the original director and produce additional scenes and sequences. And under Walt's strict orders, the film was shortened down to a length of 25 minutes. We'll talk about this in a while. I think this was for the better. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice, brisk, breezy story. And if you were to extend it, it, w- it would have become a bit of a dumbbell if you were to, to extend it to 65 minutes by itself. The drama didn't end there, Gar, because the project was shelled again following layoffs in August 1946. God, this poor film. <laughs> Meanwhile, in December 1946, Disney started production on a new animated feature film, an adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Around this time, there were plans, we've mentioned this before, to combine The Wind in the Willows and The Legend of the Happy Valley, which became Mickey and the Beanstalk, along with The Gremlins, an original story developed by author Roald Dahl into a package film called The Three Fabulous Characters. This is really interesting. Not many people know this. Roald Dahl created Gremlins, you know, Gizmo and the did he? classic movies. He did. Really? Oh, it's a book. 
if you look at the book, it's actually has the Disney brand on it. So I don't know whether they produced the book or it's just because they own the rights that any subsequent publications had to have the Disney logo on it. Yeah, that's that's a weird one. I, I did not. Uh, that's that's just a character I do not associate with Roald Dahl. Yeah, it's a short story, but he he created the Gremlins. Uh, we'd know it more as a movie. We wouldn't know it more as a story. I think. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now for Gremlins. And they don't cite it being based on the Roald Dahl book. It's definitely the same thing. I, I've, I've looked into this. It says based on gremlin folklore, which a gremlin is... Uh, yeah, because gremlins existed before Roald Dahl. It was popularized by Roald Dahl, but the gremlins film is not based on the Roald Dahl book. So there you go. Yeah, I, I think there's DNA there, though, from what I read. Probably. When the gremlins failed to materialize, the title was changed to The Two Fabulous Characters. Then The Legend of the Happy Valley, as we know, was cut from the project in favor of pairing it with Bongo. The two shorts were incorporated under the title Fun and Fancy Free, one of our latest episodes. Go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Yes, more Roald Dahl history. Gremlins was his first book. What's that? Yeah, it was Dahl's first book and written for Walt Disney. So that's the reason it's published. That's interesting. So yeah. where Roald Dahl got his start. <laughs> There's an original copy of that book signed by Roald Dahl and it was worth like $4,000 or something. Uh, Roald Dahl, uh, Walt Disney, who had a personal interest in the Gremlins, reluctantly began to wind down the project. It's interesting because like so many of Roald Dahl's books were then adapted into beloved animated and and live action features i believe none of which were made by disney uh actually james and the giant peach is disney ah there we go all right so one we'll give him that because like did he just get a sour taste from that first interaction with disney he's like i'm never working with disney again but no he made james and the giant peach all right in late 1947, Disney decided to pair The Legend of Sleepy Hollow with The Wind in the Willows into a singular package film, as neither was long enough to be a feature film. The new film was later given the title that we know today, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. The film was released in October 1949 to mostly positive reviews from critics, many preferring Wind in the Willows to Sleepy Hollow. But both- uh, They're correct! But both, they like, in fairness, <laughs> from what I read, they liked both and they thought it was a market improvement on recent films, but they much preferred the first segment. Yeah, they're right. Not that I, I, I don't dislike the, the Sleepy Hollow segment of this film, and we'll get into it. I think it's it's pretty good, but I think the, the Wind in the Willow segment is much better. It's much funnier. In recent years, since 1955, I think, these films have been released separately, so they haven't really been promoted together except for this film, of course. Yes, except in, in this specific instance of post-war desperation. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad made a little over $1.6 million during its run. That's $17 million in 2020. It was less successful than the other package films of the era but i would say more critically well received and for me more well received it's better it's just yeah. better it's, it's certainly better than melody time it's certainly better than the three caballeros it's better than make mine music it's probably better than fun and fancy free i think on the whole i enjoyed these two shorts these two segments more than the two segments in fun and fancy free and it's pro- what am i missing which one saludos amigos it's probably better than that too so is it my favorite of the package films probably is my answer to that question so let's jump into the film here Gar. Mm-hmm. as the film's animated segments are based on literary works we start with a library sequence so we go in through the library window and the book opens for the wind and the willows again ken taking the l on being like they didn't do anything to frame these films it's like they did i didn't something. say all of them Gar. i just said some of them were a bit flimsy that's all but like they, they in fairness they did something to frame all of these films even melody time which they did the same thing they did fun, fun and fancy free but yeah here it's just like we're going to a library and we're going to tell two stories from the library. There you go. Framing device. 
This segment is introduced and narrated by Basil Rathbone. He's a famous English actor who... Basil Rathbone. Very, very English old-timey name. It really is. He famously played Sherlock Holmes in a series of movies in the late 30s and 40s. The segment is based on The Wind and the Willows, 1908, by famous Scotsman Kenneth Graham, as I said. Kenneth was a lot more popular name back in the, the 1900s. There's so many Kenneths around these films. You, you, you get very excited, because obviously all these films open with the credits, which is something that could never happen in 2020, unless it's a Bond film. But even then, it doesn't open with the credits. They usually have a cold open of some sort, or a hot open, I suppose, uh, of some sort, and then open on the credits. Uh, but yeah, Kenneth, all over the place. Yeah, everywhere. We're all over history. Yeah, except in modern history. Like I'm thinking of famous Kenneths at the moment. There's Kenneth Branagh, but he's ancient. Uh, what other famous Kenneths are there? Ken Barlow. Uh, he's a fake person, but he's on Coronation. <laughs> there you go. Fictional characters count. Um, Ken... Yeah, there's not that many Kens these days. Where have the Kens gone? But there's that's a phenomenon, isn't it? Like Some names go what they call officially extinct when mm. they haven't been in the top... I don't know, like top 50 or something for a certain length of time or something like that. You got extinct, Ken. Yeah. Whereas Garrett was never a popular name. Do I exist? Except Garth. Am I real? Spelt with an or and TH, which is an abomination to the English language and my sensibilities. You should change your name to assimilate into culture. Never. There was a, a group, DM group, where someone invited all of the Garretts into a mass Twitter group. <laughs> To, to unify over their name Garrett. It was a good time and a strange time. It still exists. Every so often someone messages it. It's like, hey, Garrett's, how are we doing? And everyone's like, I'm doing fine, Garrett. That's so weird. Yeah, the internet. The story of Wind and the Willows is set in and around London, England. Uh, at, uh, London? Between June 10th, 1907 and January 1st, 1908. So Toad goes to jail for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's there until Christmas. The protagonist, J. Thaddeus Toad Esquire, is introduced as an incurable adventurer who never counted the cost. Yeah, and he's, uh, what is it? he's clever, but absolutely crazy, or something like that. Yeah, that was a great line. I can't remember the exact line, but I should have written it down because it was a really, really good line. Yeah, it's like, that's a perfect description of me. Although he is the wealthy owner of the Toad Hall estate, Toad's uh, many adventures and positive mania for fads have brought him to the brink of bankruptcy. <laughs> it's like, I want a car. I want a car. It's like, God damn it, Toad! As a last resort, Toad's friend, Angus MacBadger, volunteers as Toad's bookkeeper to help keep his estate, which is a source of pride in the community. So from there, he he, he starts off with his latest fad of horse and carriage. Mm-hmm. Trash in the entire English countryside. And then he sees a car and then he, he gets those weird Disney hypno eyes. Yes. And he's like... <laughs> he makes car noises, as one does. And starts bouncing around the place. He is infatuated. He's desperate to have a car, so his friends Rash, a.k.a. Ratty, and Mole, a.k.a. Moly. Yes. Lock him up in his room in an attempt to save him from himself. <laughs> they lock him in his house until his car fever goes away. Uh, and then he breaks out of his house and trashes the English countryside in the car again. A car which he robs. But does he rob it? Yeah, so the conceit is that he trades Toad Hall for the car because he's so desperate to have it. <laughs> but he sells it to a, a bunch of weasels. Literal yes. weasels, not figurative. They're, they're weasels. And hilarity ensues. The, the basic premise is Toad is framed for stealing the car. He goes to jail. They bust him out and he has to try and get the deed back for Toad Hall. Yes, by an evil barman who there's a very good gag where the barman goes to court and he's standing on the bar, uh, the, the court stand thingy and he's he's still cleaning the, <laughs> the, the, the yeah. court stand because he's a, he's a barman. That's what he does. He cleans the bar. On the subject of Winky, he was deeply unsettling and at the beginning I did not twig that he was the villain and I really should have. Yeah, it's literally, hello, I'm the villain. I have evil villain face. 
I was happy to see that the voices were actually produced by English actors in this, which made a difference. It, it had a, a distinctly British feel. Yes, and uh, but, but I don't. I haven't read the text, even though it's my gimmick that I should. <laughs> Have you read these books? These two? <laughs> no, I haven't. No, no. Uh, I've watched the 2013 Sleepy Hollow TV show, so that's all I need to know about that. Um, but. Uh, it, like uh, the, the the material of the book seems to have been just lifted into the film because it, it's it's not written like most Disney films are like it it's, it seems very much written in an English voice or a Scottish voice I suppose and that makes it so much better than most of the stuff Disney does <laughs> it has somewhat of a restraint and a reserve but also whimsy that's yes. a very British sensibility it's it's I think this is probably the funniest of any of the Disney features like there's honest to goodness like good lines and good jokes and good bits in this speaking of the character as well mole aka moly he's adorable yeah his, his commitment to toad even though toad doesn't deserve it yeah toad he has an undying loyalty to toad and he like he's ready to help him at all turns even though he's a jailbird yeah pure innocent moly helping people out what a guy all the main characters are appealing in their own way to me in this film and they're very reminiscent of later works like the great mouse detective and the ducktales universe angus mcbadger what a name <laughs> It's basically like Bodie McBoatface, except the name you'd give a Scottish badger. I, I thought this short overall, or it's more of a featurette, the word I've coined in the last few episodes. It was fast-paced. As you said, it was very, very funny. It had an energy and a life to it while also feeling somewhat quaint. It's just like, as I said, it had a restraint, so it built. So it, like, it, you know, set the premise and it had gags and it was a bit funny and unusual, but it didn't give away the game too early. And then we kind of get to the, the sequence near the climax where there's a madcap chase slash brawl for the D to Toad Hall which is very impressive both in terms of its pace and the skill of the animation. And some commentators at the time say that it's from the best work they've ever done. Yeah, I think... I think It's not better than Bambi. It's certainly not better than Bambi. Like, Bambi is still, I think, the pinnacle of anything they've done in this era. But, like, if you're like, do I think, side by side, the adventures of, uh, or, no, the adventures of Mr. Toad, I guess, excluding Ichabod, uh, is better than Snow White? Probably. Yeah. It's certainly funnier and better animated. The animation is, and there's very little shortcuts taken here, as we've seen in the the other package films. So Mm. it's a solid piece overall. And the one thing I wanted to say as well, we, we, we talked touched on it earlier the 25 minute length is perfect there's no filler no visible shortcuts as i just said but i do think it would have suffered as a feature it was a very compact concise story good gags good action especially towards the end and it got out i will say you say there's no shortcuts but one of the shortcomings of the animation in this piece which i didn't bump on in any of the other ones so i I, i'm i'm led to think it's them struggling with a different accent is the lip syncing. Oh yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, the, the, the lip syncing is, is kind of off, kind of weird, and uh, what, what I would put it down to is Americans trying to lip sync a different accent that they don't quite get, and it doesn't quite feel right. Like, there's sometimes it's a nerdy there, but there's other times where, like, it's he's saying complete... stuff and his lips aren't moving at all. Yeah, it's just completely off, so, yeah, maybe it is as simple as, as English and Scottish accents are, are alien to uh, American animators, so maybe they struggled with doing that, so that's, that's that is the one I would bump on. The, the, this, of course, has, has a a single takeaway from it, Ken, that wealthy people cannot be trusted. They have too much money and too much free time so they can do what they want when they want with no consequences. So basically the central thesis of The Wind in the Willows is eat the rich. (laughs) Nobody should be a billionaire. No. Like, I saw a funny tweet once that said, basically, nobody should be a billionaire. So once you get past a billion, you get a certificate, like, well done. And then all your, the rest of your wealth is redistributed to things that need it. Because realistically, no, people are like, oh, I can't live without my billions of dollars. It's like, there's no incentive to, to make things if you can't make more than a billion dollars. And it's like, that's also bullshit. Get out of here. 
crazy. But before we get bogged down in economics and politics... And then Mr. Toad is exactly the, 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 the primary example of why this is the case. Because he just makes everybody's life more difficult by trashing the English countryside with his flagrant wealth so that, that he cannot be trusted with that money. So you need Angus McBadger to rein him in and redistribute that income. So that's, that's re- as I said, that's realistically what The Wind in the Willows is all about. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's an allegory for modern capitalism and how it's failing us. Mm. Sleepy Hollow is introduced and narrated by Bing Crosby, who performs the voices of the main characters Ichabod Crane and Brom Bones. The second segment is based on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. Although the film introduces the story as Ichabod Crane, later individual releases retain the original title. As a short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was originally published in the sketchbook with other stories and not as a single volume as pictured in the film. To give a brief synopsis here, in October 1790, that's very specific. Why is it very specific? The idea is this is a Halloween story. Oh, that's true. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, girl. You're right. I'll slap myself on the wrist here. But I can. I'm holding my iPad, which has a script on it. In October 1790, Ichabod Crane, a lanky super superstitious yet charming dandy arrives in Sleepy Hollow, a small village north of Clark, I don't know where that is, uh, that is renowned for its ghostly hauntings, to be the town's new schoolmaster. Despite his odd behaviour, appearance and effeminate mannerisms, Ichabod soon wins the hearts of the village women and forms friendships with the students. Uh, So he basically seduces them all into making him really nice meals. Sleepy Hollow is a real place, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, Google. Yes, it's in um, Mount Pleasant in New York. So I wonder, I assume they do like loads of stuff based around this. You'd have to think that they built their entire identity around the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Because like, why not? What else are you going to, what else does Sleepy Hollow got as a tourism attraction than just relentlessly being like, Headless Horseman, Ichabod Crane. Brom Bones, the roguish town hero, does his best to bully Ichabod. However, he is very good at ignoring these taunts at first and continues to interact with the townspeople. Ichabod then falls in love with Katrina Van Tassel, the beautiful daughter and only child of Baltus Van Tassel, who is the richest man in the village. Despite the fact that he is falling in love with her, Ichabod mainly desires to have his money for himself. Brom, who is also in love with her, proceeds to compete with Ichabod for her affections. Ichabod wins over Katrina at every opportunity, although unbeknownst to him, Katrina, who thinks Brom is too sure of himself, is only using Ichabod to make Brom jealous and force him to try harder for her affections. I didn't, I, I wrote this as a note here, I did not cop this while viewing the original film. I didn't get that she was just playing Ichabod to make Brom jealous. Uh, you see, I would have said it was the other way around. But my read of the film is that she she was more interested in Ichabod than Brom. Yeah, but then too. Brom won the war by scaring the shit out of Ichabod and making him flee the town forever. <laughs> One note before we move on here, Katrina has no spoken dialogue in this piece. And well, nobody does it. They do the old narration gimmick. Yeah, but Ichabod and Brom have some kind of voice where she doesn't, so... She just winks, winks and teases and makes faces at everybody and then goes, oh, yeah. while the narrator fills in the gaps for the other two. Yeah, she has some agency because she's, you know, obviously playing these men against each other. She's but manipulating these men fantastically. She is a horrific tease. These poor men are just like uh, and everyone in the entire town is like I'm in love with you instantly and they like bow down over her it's like please cross over my jacket take my food I am a big strong man Katrina is somewhat independent but again you know I would like to see her have some kind of voice or maybe even sing a song to introduce herself oh yeah classic maybe she should sing a song about how she wants more in her life part of this world To be honest, I was not looking forward to this segment going into the film. Why? I've never liked the visual style of the main character, but it really made sense when Why do you not like the visual the style of Ichabod Crane? No, it kind of creeps me out for some reason. I think he's supposed to. Yeah, he's supposed to be a little weird and off-kilter. And Well, you see, in the same way that, that um, 
uh, Wind in the Willows is about uh, how rich people can't be trusted. This is about how Americans fear intellectualism. <laughs> Because wow. this this wise teacher man, Ichabod Crane, walks into town and immediately everybody in town is like, who are you? Why are you intelligent? We fear you. A big, strong, muscly man must try and bully you out of town. It's like, that really is a, a meta commentary on Americans' fear of intelligence and fact and science, which is playing out in a pretty horrifying fashion. Yeah, I was about to say, as the way they're rejecting it in favour of the, the word of one man, yes. who's a, a legendary bully. Yeah, so, so it's, it's this, this hit home. Home, watching poor Ichabod Crane and his his teaching and his intelligence and his reading, God forbid, uh, be, be be bullied and thrown around Sleepy Hollow, and people are like, "What are you doing? Why aren't you just a big dumb lughead who drinks beer and hangs around outside the bar?" Another thing that struck me is that the tone was lighter than I was expecting. The, the headless horseman aspect is only introduced towards the end of the story. Most of the story is essentially a love triangle and somewhat comedic in nature. The the headless horseman sequence, when it comes, it really is quite scary. I really love the design and I can imagine kids at the time were cowering in their parents leave while in the theatre yeah they don't hold back it's not like "Ah, we need to make him a little more approachable it's like nope he's a fiery pumpkin a giant sword what did he have Uh, yeah it was a sword I think yeah so he's trying to chop people's heads off (laughs) he's like he's literally like the the, the last five minutes of this film are are Ichabod fleeing terrified from this horseman though they do they actually do a lovely little sequence where like he hears the clip clopping of the horse but it's actually some reeds banging off a log and like until then he turns around and the horseman is actually there yeah and he's laughing at himself for being so scared so like like, they do a nice little sequence where the idea is that that he's, he's, he's afraid of the superstition so that he goes running terrified out of the house but then the actual horseman shows up and then he flees the town forever i find myself rooting for ichabod even though i think he's supposed to be a sympathetic character but then he's also like a schemer and deeply manipulative so and then brom bones is a jerk so who am i how is he what's he manipulating like the women of the town and you know he's tricking katrina into he just wants some food He's just yeah. playing the game again when the women are like, I will give you food in exchange for better grades for my child. Ichabod, of course, will be like, yeah, I'll take the food. True. I Who guess. needs integrity? This is, again, a distinctly American story. <laughs> Legitimately, like, that, that, the, the, like, if you look at these stories side by side, where uh, this is a story about people scheming and people, you know, being big, rough, tumble men and where intellectualism is, is d- discouraged. And then you look at, at Wind in the Willows, which is more of about how everyone is a kind of a fool everyone is a little stupid even like uh, the toad, yeah, toad yeah, everyone's is, a bit selfish yeah toad is not in any way like uh ba- badly intentioned you know he's just stupid so it's it's like farcical the british story leans more into farce where the american story leans more into i don't know manipulative plot which is i think i, I think that's an interesting side by side like these stories were written what approximately 100 years apart weren't they when the was early 1900s and sleepy hollow early 1800s i think wasn't it yeah i think so give or take uh, so yeah, it's interesting to see to see the, the the cultural times of America versus the cultural times of the the UK and Scotland in particular, and how they reflect these characters and how how they actually tell stories. And I think some of that prevails into today, where like British humor is still drier, it's more cutting, it's more self-deprecating, and American humor is more broad, it's more slapstick. So it's like Homer Simpson versus, as I try to think of, uh, Basil Fault you know yeah. <laughs> compare and, those two characters one distinctly selfish one distinctly farcical and you see that reflected in the culture of America because they embrace British comedians and British writers to, to come over like do stuff like Veep and things like that because they don't have it in them to create that kind of content and they almost revere it like I remember listening to a podcast with Conan O'Brien and he was talking to uh 
He's one of the one of the Monty Pythons that's not John Cleese. His name is escaping me, even though I only saw it the other day. <laughs> um, anyway, it's not Eric Idle. And he said, like, they're in awe of what the British do because it, it's just not in them to do it. Yeah. And they don't have that reserve and that kind of dry wit. So it's funny that, like, Americans just really covet that. And even today, you see that in, in all this stuff that's produced. And I, 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 like the, probably the best example is David Brent versus Michael Scott. Like, the, the, those two different sides of what are, in essence, the same character, uh, it shows this this same dichotomy that you saw if you watched uh, The Adventures of, of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, and you saw something very similar between these two stories. And I think that is very interesting, the cultural difference between the writing in these kind of pieces. Yeah, I think that's a really good call, okay. In hindsight, I think the lighter tone of the earlier part makes the story all the more effective because the sudden change in mood and tone is palpable. Mm. So it kind of lowers you into a false sense of security. It's like, okay, I thought this was a bit of a horror. Where's the, yeah, the horror the, the, I was the same. It's like, where's all the horror stuff? This is a love story. I'm not here for love. So as soon as he goes into the forest and the trees close behind him, this is a really sweeping change of mood and tone. And I think that's really effective. So the whole conceit of the piece being kind of a love triangle and being quite flighty and uh, and light is to kind of really pull you in for that closing sequence. I reckon. They, they do end it on a, a Soprano-style uh, <laughs> open ending. So, is Ichabod Crane dead? Or did he just flee town? I was leaning towards fleeing based on his previous character. Mm. I'm going to go for dead, just because it's funnier. <laughs> okay. The horseman killed him. He's decapitated bit, him. He seems like a bit of a wheeler dealer, so I think he's always gonna. I think he's always gonna be okay in the end. Yeah. So all right. So is Brom Bones secretly the headless horseman? Because conveniently, well, he's the only one that knew about it, and he brought it up. Yeah. Nobody and talks he, about it until then. He brought it up, and then the headless horseman went after his rival and his rival alone. So Brom Bones clearly has some control over this horseman. And if you rearrange the letters of Brom Bones, you get headless horseman. Wow. <laughs> One thing, a couple more bits I wanted to mention on this. The chase sequence is chilling and thrilling. Again, the pace is manic and the sense of urgency creates a really pleasant, unsettling feeling. I know that's a bit of an oxymoron, but again, I, I, I really have to praise the animation here because like the end of uh, The Wind and the Willows, the pace is very quick and there's a lot of really interesting gags there. And, mm. you know, I really got a sense of tension when, you know, the premise says that he has to get across the bridge to escape the horseman and he won't be able to And he get didn't you. and he died. Yeah, so like when he's... <laughs> trying to get to the bridge and he nearly gets there and he gets pulled back and then he eventually gets across the bridge and he thinks he's safe. I was really invested in that part. Hmm. Ken, Ken wanted to see Ichabod. Even though Ken doesn't understand why he likes Ichabod Crane, he wants to see him live. Yeah, poor guy. He's all gangly. Just feel sorry for him. It's because you love the 2013 TV show so much in which the, the character of Ichabod is very funny. Indeed. One last note here. Katrina, I wrote down here in my notes, Katrina equals Cinderella. They're, they're literally identical. Yeah. Oh, Katrina's in the Sleepy Hollow TV show as well. Ah. Yeah. Remember that, Katrina? There you yeah. go. <laughs> I think... I don't think there's a Brom Bones equivalent in the TV show, but... Yeah. For me, the, the character... Oh, Katrina is very reminiscent of what became Cinderella in the next movie. So I think there is some DNA there. The second she shows up, she's very Disney princess. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, there's your animated style kicking in. Because like, uh, Wind in the Willows doesn't feel as much classically Disney. You know, it feels a little different. Whereas when Katrina is like, oh, that's as classic Disney as you get. That's like, we used one of our stock animation princess <laughs> animations for this. There she is. Just plop her in there. Gar, as we know, Nicole always goes into the music of the film, so we won't dwell on it too much. There were songs in this film? Good note, Gar. Uh, Decca Records released and issued an album called Ichabod, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, featuring Bing Crosby in 1949 to tie in with the release of the film. So that's one interesting note. For me, the songs were pleasant, but not particularly memorable. 
as was the score. I think this is much like the other films of the package era in that it's functional, but you don't get the same sense of effort and care that you do with the likes of maybe Bambi, for example. But these these were musical. Neither of them were. No. Like, the, the songs were never sent to that. Like, the the only song I actually remember was Brom Bones doing the, the... Not even a song. It was more like a, a, a poem than anything else on uh, the Headless Horseman when he was telling the story of the Headless Horseman. Yeah. That's, that's the only active piece of music I remember. This. And I wouldn't even, like, actively describe it as a piece of music. It was like a piece of spoken word more than anything else. So good luck, Nicole. <laughs> also, my last thoughts on the music here. I thought the music of Sleepy Hollow, especially towards the end, jarred with the horror theme of the closing sequence mm. so it's like a like a really kind of almost grim ending but then all of a sudden it's like la 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 so the yeah. lord will care for me <laughs> yeah so they kind of I, I suppose they wanted to end it on a happy note but it just felt like really well, there, there is, it's a happily ever after for Brom Bones whereas Ichabod is probably dead god bless him I'm on the side of dead I'm on the side of escaped and <sighs> we'll leave it there Final thoughts, Gary, and summary of the package era. Uh, I like this film. I like this film a lot. Uh, I, as I particularly like the Wind in the Willow segment, but uh, the, the Sleepy Hall segment is okay. It's pretty good. It's solid. Whereas the window, I think the Wind in the Willow segment is excellent. I think it is a, one of their the better things they've done. So on the whole, I think it's my favorite of the package films. I'd agree. I think Wind in the Willow stands on its own. As I wouldn't say. So maybe- Disney was wrong, by the way, Mister. Yeah. I don't see how this will be. Maybe it's it was actually good because he was so demanding over how good it should be. But uh, yeah, we, we we see this a lot. Disney history where projects aren't really placed as favourites or they don't have faith in them and then the people who do work on it work harder because they want it to be good. Yeah, so I think it's my favourite. Like, I understand why this era of films exists uh, and it's a miracle Disney actually came out of it financially viable. How interesting would the world be if Disney like went bust in the, in the 40s during the war because these films didn't make money. But... And by all accounts it very nearly happened. Yeah, so that, that history that history of the world because they have to take out a loan to finance these damn films. So, But uh, but uh, I think the films are, are very wildly in quality. I, 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 like, I, I freely admit that the, the musical package film idea just isn't for me. That's not my thing. I don't really want that. And maybe there's there's probably better ways of doing that would appeal more to me. But the ways Disney did three of them in this era and Fantasia, I thought, was interesting, but flawed. Uh, Make My Music, I surprisingly liked more than I expected. And then, what was the one we did last week? Melody Time. I just had no time for it whatsoever. By by the time we reached Melody Time, I was fed up of this idea. And then we have the the package films, which are are two combined, which is Fun and Fancy Free, and the the other one. (laughs) The one we're watching today. There we go. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Crane. Or Mr. uh, Mr. Crane, Mr. Toad, sorry. Yeah, Ichabod and Mr. Crane, Uh, which I prefer the idea of combining two kind of, as you say, featurettes. Thanks, Ken's, Ken's preferred word. And then we had the, the two South America films, one of which I liked. I liked Saludos Amigos. I thought that was interesting. And then Three Caballeros on the other side of that. Terrible. So, yeah. I think I'd echo that guy. This is my favourite so far and it is a mixed bag. I think as we said a lot of this was survival mode. They were trying to get their odds and ends to try and make a product that they could sell. At the same time we did see a lot of innovations in this period that we we can see in in the DNA of even features today. So there was some things to take forward from it and I think you know overall I I think 50-50. Yeah Yeah. give or take probably. As I said well Fantasia isn't included in this so everything after Bambi. So Saludos Amigos good. Three Caballeros bad. Make my music good. 
Oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, Make My Music, good. Final Fantasy Free, pretty good. Melody Time, bad. And then back to good for Ichabod and Toad. So, yeah. so like, literally... It's every know, second film. Every second <laughs> film. So, like, if you're going through this package era, like, watch every second film is the, is the message we have here. Quickly going back to this film, Garrett, in terms of the legacy, we're about to enter Disney's first Renaissance period, and we'll talk about this as we come to it. But much like Oliver and company in 1988. For me, The Adventures of Ichabod Mr. Toad acts as somewhat of a prelude to the period of financial and critical success that was to come. It was a marked improvement in terms of story, animation, character design to the previous films of this era, and I think it was a sign of things to come, that the bounce back was starting to happen. And you see the same thing in 2008, because like, you see, you had the same thing with The Princess and the Frog, which was like, oh, they're back to, this is what Disney do after that era of the late 90s and early 2000s, where they, they had more misses than hits. Though I also like Bolt, which I think came directly before just Princess before of, Princess of the Frog, Frog 2008, which I enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was the same thing. Where then they hid into Frozen and Big Hero Six and all the the big hits they've had since then, and um, Wreck It Ralph and all that fun stuff. So yeah, there there is there's like this little moment before they're, they're they take off again, where you see their their creative juices get going again, and then they finally find their form again. Which so, is it's happened three times in Disney history now, maybe more while we go through this. The tentpole films are this. Oliver and Company and Princess and the Frog and I think it's really interesting because each of them aren't perfect but it was a sign of the return to form that brought them to success in the first place yeah because I don't actually like uh, when I watch maybe I like it more when I rewatch it but when I, when I originally watched The Princess and the Frog didn't particularly care for it it's fine whereas Tangled is the film I would be like that's the comeback that's Disney look at those songs look at the story Disney all over but there's the, there's always the, the point where you, you can solidify the comeback and say they're definitely back but if you go back a film there's nearly always a film that you say the signs are there so yeah this is it's, it's the Oliver and Company to the to Beauty and the Beast. It's the the Princess and the Frog to the Tangled, and there's the Wind in the Willows to the Cinderella. Actually, Oliver and Company preceded uh, the Little Mermaid, but yeah. Well, Beauty and the Beast was ninety one, wasn't it? Yeah, but uh, Little Mermaid was nineteen ninety, and Oliver and Company was eighty eight. Oh no, ninety two was Aladdin. Also, we would see the character designs in both featurettes inform the design of characters in the features that would follow for decades to come. So mm. we're, we're, yeah, as we said. The Great Mouse Detective, Cinderella, even adjacent to this film. Again, it's really solidifying that patented style that we saw in Bambi as well. Yeah, that, that Disney animated style. That even like you saw in Snow White, even like all the way back to Snow White, you could see the beginnings of that style. It's like, oh, they were already on it. Like it, it, they didn't have to find their 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 visual voice for want of a better word uh, until like right on to right right at the very beginning. One last fun note here, Gard. The Wind in the Willow segment inspired Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, an attraction at Disneyland, which featured from the park's opening and is still operating at many Disney theme parks worldwide today. Is it in one of the ones I've been to? Yeah. Have I been on it? No. All right. It's more of a kiddie ride. It's one of those like ones that goes in the dark. Sounds like fun. Okay, Disney chums, that's nearly it for the show this week. Our resident singer Nicole is coming up in just a few moments with a song from Ichabod and Mr. Toad. It's always a treat, so be sure to stick around for that after the outro. You can find new episodes of Magic by Design every Monday, where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Check out our website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com to find a full list of podcast providers. Magic by Design is on all your favorite social media haunts. Get it? Sleepy Hollow. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magic by design pod on Twitter at Magic Design Pod and on the Insta at Magic by Design Pod. If you like the show and want to help us out, please do consider giving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice, share the podcast on your socials, or recommend to a fellow Disney addict. Each one will help us. 
We really would appreciate your support in helping the pod take off, much like Mr. Toad when he discovers a new fad. We are, we do have podcast mania. We have the, the eyes. Our eyes are red and glowing and circular. Swirly. And we're like, podcasts. We will be back next week at the same time, same place, with Disney's 12th animated feature, Cinderella. A but, real film! Woo! But until then, stay safe and remember, never trade your palatial estate for a motor car. It only ever leads to trouble. You'll go to jail. No, I promise to treat and here it is because nicole is here to sing us out with katrina from the adventures of ichabod and mr toad and as an added bonus she's gone to the trouble of unearthing some fun facts about the music of the film over to you nicole hi there disney lovers it's me nicole your musical correspondent coming to you live from my bedroom this week we're taking a look at the adventures of ichabod and mr toad the last of the package movies or now, when released to video back in the day, each segment was released separately. New intro music was made for The Wind in the Willows, which meant it was partly cut. Apparently, the filmmakers also researched the music of the colonial period to ensure the film's historical accuracy. Interestingly, the well-known New Year's Eve song Ode Lang Syne is sung at the end of Mr. Toad's story. Bing Crosby recorded three songs for the Legend of Sleepy Hollow segment of the movie. A great move by Disney as Bing worked on radio with choral group The Rhythm Airs and would have been well known at the time. The song we're concentrating on this week is Katrina, sung by Bing Crosby during the Legend of Sleepy Hollow segment. The air of the song can be heard throughout the segment when Katrina appears like a leitmotif. Those not familiar with what a leitmotif is, it's basically the music you associate with a character, place or idea. So here's my version of Katrina, and we can all breathe a sigh of relief as I've managed to source a backing track. No more piano playing for Nicole. Woo! Once you have met that little coquette Katrina, you won't forget. But nobody yet has ever upset Katrina That cute coquette Katrina You could do more with Margaret or Alina Or Anne or Angelina But Katrina will kiss and run to her romances always another one to stand And yet when you've met that little coquette Katrina 